special treat for you. Uh, Eric's a great friend, but he's also a phenomenal pastor. And I remember the first time I heard him preach, afterwards, I'm like, was that the first time here or the first time ever? Because I was, I was very impressed. So I know you're going to be blessed today as he walks us through just what the Bible is, how we're to engage with it. Um, Eric, I want to pray over you, and then you take it away for us. Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you uh, for bringing Eric along uh, today to open up your word. And God, I pray that we would just have ears to hear. God, be with him now. Speak through him in a mighty way. I want to give you all the praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is, it is truly a privilege to be able to come and, and join you for worship here this morning. When Pastor Joe had called me a few, week, few weeks back and had invited me here to preach, I was excited to be able to finally come to your location here and see all that God is doing through Pastor Aaron and Pastor Joe and really everyone that's so involved in this church. I had an opportunity to come and preach when you were still in the school a few years back, and I have to say that I was amazed then to think through all of the, the work and sacrifice involved in, in setting all of that up. And I'm thankful that you have more of a, a permanent location now and you're able to focus your efforts in other ways, and I'm sure you are as well. But I'm just so thankful for the, the testimony that your, your sacrifice and work is to those in this community, that God will bless those efforts all throughout as you're making an impact for the gospel here. It's something very encouraging and exciting to see. Well, you are, you're now in this series asking for a friend, and I have a question this morning that I'm going to be addressing. And the one that I have in front of me is why does Pastor Aaron dress the way that he does? If you could put the picture up there for me. <laughs> and I have to say, I honestly don't know where a man buys a shirt like that with the pineapples on the sleeve. It takes a special person to pull off a look like that. To be totally honest, though, this was taken from a video that Pastor Aaron had done for us there in Marysville last year for our big give. And after the video was played, our people were encouraged to continue to support and pray for Living Hope Church Columbus so that you could continue to make an impact for the gospel in this area, but also so that Pastor Aaron could go out and buy himself a new shirt. So, if you're watching this, Aaron, you know that we love you. Well, all, all kidding aside, the, the question that I have this morning is how do we study the Bible? You know, I believe that is a, it's a great question to ask, whether you're a, a new believer or someone who's been a Christian for many years. It's always good to ensure that we're approaching the Word of God correctly. You know, the Bible is, is truly an awesome book when you understand what it contains. Even to those who do not believe, it's considered to be a, a great work of literature made up of, of 66 different books written by some 40 different human authors from very diverse backgrounds over a period of about 1,500 years. It really is this incredible collection of books that even non-believers find to be a great piece of literature. But what happens is as you begin to read and study the Bible, and, and you see that throughout all of this diversity of time and, and people and all of these different cultures, is there emerges a theme that is common throughout the entire Bible. There is unity to all of it. And we believe that that's because one author ultimately inspired all of it. And we believe that that is God. So this morning, I'd like to begin by taking a look at 2 Timothy and some verses in this book that we probably are very familiar with. Because I think that it will help bring focus to what this powerful book contains. So if you have your Bibles and would like to follow along, we'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be reading through verses 14 through 17. Would you stand with me in honor of reading God's Word this morning? 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred Scriptures, 
which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are so thankful that we are able to be here this morning as the people of God, worshiping You through song. And and now as we turn to Your Word, Father, as, as we look at this question of how it is that we should approach Your Word, how it is that we should study the Bible, we pray that it is Your Spirit that would guide us in this. You would equip us to better understand it, to be able to more completely apply it to our lives. And not just so that it transforms us, but that so that it transforms us in a way that we desire to go out and share the hope of the gospel with those that we interact with every day. We're so thankful, Father, for Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Well, before we answer the question of why we study the Bible, we first need to answer the question... Let me back up. Before we answer the question of how we study the Bible, we first need to answer the question of why we study it. And the reason that that is important is because the way that we answer the why will determine not only how we study the Bible, but really the more important thing here is is why we should really engage in that process. It helps move us from this simply about learning something new to it being life-transforming. So first, let's understand why we engage the Bible. Now, me personally, I need to know why it is that I'm doing something before I'm able to really commit to that task in a meaningful way. And, you know, I think that's probably true of of most people. Our son Jeremiah, who's, who's six years old now, is a master at asking the question, why? As I'm sure most who have kids are familiar with that as well. And honestly, sometimes it can be a bit annoying because it's more about a stall tactic than it's actually him seeking clarity on what it is I've asked him to do. Or in the case of it's I've told him no to something and he's trying to change my no to a yes, it's a negotiation tactic. But other times it's it's truly helpful. It it comes from a place of him genuinely wanting to understand. He's asked my my wife and I why it is that we do or, or believe certain things. And it's been helpful for us because it's allowed us to more critically think through those things, understand those things more clearly. And honestly, it's a great exercise for anyone if you want to really sharpen your ability to more clearly share the gospel or explain some other biblical truth. And it's true for the way that we study God's Word. If you approach the Bible as just another great piece of literature, you might be interested to read through parts of it or even commit to reading it cover to cover just once. But you know, I don't know that you would return to it a lot. You probably wouldn't reread it much. And you probably really wouldn't study it. And I think that's unfortunately how some people view the Bible. It's a really great book. They may even believe that it, it contains some wisdom. But they don't feel that it has any real power to transform their lives, to really help them through their journey in life, and ultimately give them purpose that is eternal. And that's the reason we must understand why we study the Bible. And our passage here in 2 Timothy gives us this reason. And the first thing that we see here, which is the foundation for everything else, as Paul tells Timothy there in verse 16, is that all Scripture is inspired by God. So that we engage the Bible because it is God's Word. If there ever was a passage to to highlight and underline in your Bible, this would definitely be at the top of the list of those. The implications of this are enormous. All Scripture is inspired by God. The literal interpretation of that word means God breathed. And some translations actually use that phrase here. Meaning that Scripture has been breathed out by God. The ultimate origin of it is in Him. It's the reason that we refer to it as God's Word. He is the one who is the source for these writings that we have in the Bible. 
You know, today we, we sometimes see believers fighting over so many different things in our world and in our churches. And some of those things, they're, they're truly secondary issues. They're, they're things that really should not divide us. Much of that, I think, is based on traditions or personal preference, and they're not worth fighting over. But some of those things are important truths and doctrines that should clearly be fought for. And I believe this one should be at the top of that list. What you believe about the inspiration of Scripture will determine so many other things in your faith and your life. What you believe about this will determine what level of authority this book has on your life. So that in the life of the believer, it is to be the supreme and final authority. It should determine what we believe and practice about our faith. It is to be the, the greatest authority in our life above that of other people and, and traditions. And we should uh, really reject anything that opposes this word. We should push back against those things. Now you might ask, as we have read through that passage here this morning, well, when Paul was writing that letter in 2 Timothy, the New Testament was not yet completed. As a matter of fact, this very letter, one that's included in that, was not yet finished. He was in the middle of writing these words that we just read there. So then should we only view those things that were completed at this point as the inspired Word of God? Should we leave the New Testament out of that? And the answer is both the Old Testament and the New Testament should be included in this. He's referring to the Old Testament here directly. And the New Testament can be included in this based on what we have from the authority of Jesus. And I'm going to show you that very quickly with three passages. Jesus, Jesus, throughout the Gospel of John, repeatedly told others that His words were not His own, but that they came from God the Father. And one example we have of that there is in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father Himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that His command is eternal life, so the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So that we can understand that the teachings and words of Jesus are clearly directly from God. But Jesus also explained that His disciples, many of whom we would know as the apostles, most of which were eyewitnesses of the earthly ministry of Christ, He explained that they would be given the ability to correctly record those things from God. That they would be guided by the Holy Spirit in this. And we see in John chapter 14 there, Jesus said, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. And finally, we have an example of, of Peter, one of the original twelve, confirmed for us that the, the writings of Paul are on the same level as the Old Testament. You look at 2 Peter 3.16. He said, he speaks these things in all his letters. He's referring to Paul here. There are some things hard to understand in them. The untaught and the unstable will twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of Scripture. So Peter here has put the writings of Paul that we have in the New Testament on the same level of the writings that we have in the Old Testament. So we can confidently hold to an understanding that the writings of these men were not just their own personal thoughts. They weren't just their ideas and opinions that they wrote down for us. But they are the divinely inspired Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we can apply what Paul wrote to Timothy, not just to the Old Testament, but to the New Testament as well. That the entire Bible is the inspired Word of God, that it is God-breathed. So that if God inspired this Word, and we believe that it has a final authority in our life, and that it's fully sufficient to equip us for a life of faith and service, then what is He communicating to us in the Bible? What is the point of all of this? 
And we see that in the Word of God, He has revealed to us His final Word. So that we engage the Bible because it reveals to us Jesus Christ. You look at verse 15 again. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred Scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now this is an important lens through which to view all of the Bible. The entire Bible is a, it's a collection of books that are all designed to point to Jesus. That Jesus Christ is the point of all of this. That everything that by the providence of God has unfolded since the beginning words of Genesis to the final words of the New Testament confirms for us that the fulfillment of God's plan is perfectly realized in Christ. And Jesus made this same statement. He made this clear for us as well. You look at Luke chapter 24. You're familiar with this story, I'm sure. This is when the two disciples were on their way to Emmaus and they encountered Jesus there. They didn't yet recognize Him. But as they were walking to Emmaus, it says that Jesus, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted for them the things concerning Himself and all of the Scriptures. And this was after He had risen from the dead that He had this conversation with these two men on the way to Emmaus. On this seven-mile walk to Emmaus, He made clear that every part of this has been by design about Him. You see, that's what's so wonderful about the Bible. It's this unified story of redemption. It's the story of a, of a great rescue. That those who have placed their faith in Christ have truly been rescued. That before Christ, we were in no condition to save ourselves. As a matter of fact, Paul in Ephesians makes clear that we were dead in our sins. We had no ability to rouse ourselves from that state to be able to even recognize our dire situation. It was only after God opened our eyes and He moved us from spiritual death to spiritual life that we began to understand just how desperately we needed our Savior. Needing to be rescued means that we don't have the means on our own, the, the power on our own to change our situation. That we need someone to step in and help us. And that's what this book is all about. That's what it is pointing to all throughout. The story of the great redemption in Christ. And Paul is telling Timothy here in verse 15 that these sacred Scriptures are designed to provide very finite beings such as ourselves the ability to see this. The ability to understand by God's grace that hope is found in Jesus. That life is found in Him. That salvation is made possible because of what Christ has accomplished. And that is the theme of the entire Bible. If we're to read any part of this book and we try to remove Jesus from it, if we try to remove Jesus from the picture, it becomes all about you. And we don't dig into this to try to find ourselves in the text, but we lose ourselves and discover Christ. Alistair Begg, he has a, a great summary of the centrality of Jesus in the Bible. He says, We find Christ in all the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, He is predicted. In the Gospels, He is revealed. In Acts, He is preached. In the Epistles, He is explained. And in Revelation, He is expected. In this book that is the inspired Word of God, He reveals to us the person and work of Christ. And Jesus Himself said that He is the way, the truth, and the life. So that in Christ we have all that we need to be reconciled to God. To know the truth. In our culture today, that's so important. To know the truth. And not just to know it and take that knowledge in, but to be transformed by that. To live out that truth. He seeks to redeem us and change our heart so that we engage the Bible because it transforms us into the likeness of Christ. You look at verse 16. He says, It is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, 
for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now all of those things that he mentions there, that's all about helping a person grow in their faith, progressing in their journey, that process that we know as sanctification, where God works on our lives. He, he works on our hearts in such a way that we begin to resemble Jesus. And the way that, that God has made His will known to us for our lives is through the Bible. So that one of the main tools that God will use to conform us into the image of His Son is through the Bible. The Bible is a, it's a, it's a book that never gets old. You know, you, you often have people who are maybe not believers will ask, how do you spend so much time in the same book? How do, you, how do you reread the same stuff over and over again? Why do you keep going back to that? Well, for one, it's because the Spirit has done a work in our lives. But it, it's, it's a book that never gets old. It, it never goes out of date. It's always relevant and true. And the reason all of that is so is because it was inspired by the, the Spirit of truth, who is an absolute and, and unchanging and perfect standard. You know, I've heard, I've heard people who have lived long lives talk about how they have spent the, the better part of their life reading and, and studying the Bible. And they said after all of that time, they felt as if they had only scratched the surface of what the Bible contains, the, the depth and the beauty and the majesty within its pages, the, the wisdom that it provided for their life, the direction and, and purpose that it gave them. And the foundation for all of that is because they desired to more clearly see Jesus, to be more like Him. If we're approaching the, the Scriptures to become a better version of us, we've missed the mark. We should be desiring to be more like Jesus, to be more like Him. And this Word is filled with the power that God can use to work that out in our lives. So that through the inspired Word, the Bible, we can know Christ. And we can be made like Him. That is the big underlying why we study the Bible. So then the question is, well, how do we go about this? You know, great Bible engagement is never less than Bible study, but it's most often much more. So let's, let's look at this, how we engage the Bible. The most important thing to keep in mind here is that we're not just studying the Bible to learn more about it. We're not just trying to take in more knowledge. That is a part of it, but that's not the ultimate aim. That's not the end goal here. We study the Bible so that we can be truly transformed. We engage with the Bible to be transformed. We want to take what we have learned and, and move it from head knowledge to life application. So this morning, I'm going to take what are some widely accepted Bible study standards, and I want, to, I want to drill down into those just a bit more. Now, this will not be an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. I don't, I don't have enough time to get into all of that. But I'm going to take a, a few very solid Bible study standards, and we're going to kind of press down into those a bit more. And I think what is true in, in all areas of our walk with Christ, as is true here, is that we engage the Bible by relying on the Holy Spirit. Now, if this was a, a purely academic endeavor, we could skip this step. If we believe that this was less than the inspired Word of God, this would not make any sense. But since we've already answered the why with that we believe this is God's Word, it makes the most sense to, to turn to Him for help understanding it. And the Bible tells us that when in the life of every true believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells that we have within us this great power that guides us and, and corrects us and teaches us. Jesus in John 16 said that when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide us into all truth. So the one way to rely on the Holy Spirit is through prayer. Now I'm not just saying that this is something we check off our list before we begin to read the Bible, but truly engage the Holy Spirit and, and ask the Lord's guidance in this. You know, I think many times we, we think of the Holy Spirit and the work that He does, and it feels a bit mysterious to us. But it was the same work of, of the Spirit that opened our eyes to faith in Christ. 
And it is the same Spirit that seeks to encourage us and help us grow in our faith and our understanding of the Bible. We can trust that the the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, is primarily concerned with the glory of Christ. That the ultimate goal of the Holy Spirit is to make Christ known and to conform us into the likeness of Christ. The very same reason why we study the Bible is what the Spirit is working out in our lives. But again, I think that the, the work of the Spirit through our Bible reading can feel a bit abstract to us at times. I understand that. We know that we have this, this power available to us, but maybe we, we overlook that in this task or we forget about it. And I think that struggle is due to partially how we view this activity that we're about to undertake with our Bible reading. And maybe just changing slightly how you view this will help you out a bit here. Think about the last time that, that you had made plans to meet with someone that you really cared about, whether that was a, a family member or a friend. You know, I'm sure there was some excitement there. There was some joy as you, as you thought about your time with them and, and throughout your visit together. Your, your conversation with this person and, and your time together probably reinforced that special relationship that you have with them. I'm sure that it, it deepened your bond with this person. And I'll bet that you walked away from that time thinking about the next time that you would see them again. And you know, this is what we have available to us with God through the Bible. Every time we open the pages of Scripture, we're meeting with the Lord. We're reading His Word. And if we prepare our hearts for this this encounter with God and ask the Holy Spirit to to help us better understand and apply His Word to to our lives, what a powerful experience that can be for us. And as you're working through the Scriptures, write those things down that you encounter that confuse you, maybe that trouble you, that are even discouraging at times. Write those things down that bring you joy and encouragement. And then take those things to the Lord in prayer. And remember, you can be brutally honest with God here. You're not going to say anything to Him that's going to shock Him. He already knows what you're working through. He already knows what you're thinking about. You can take those things to Him in prayer and ask Him for help working that out in your life. I think this is a great way to to move relying on the Holy Spirit from this abstract idea to a more concrete one. To come to our time in His Word with an expectation that we're meeting with the Lord just as you would with that good and and dear friend or or family member. And a big part of what the Spirit does for us is to help us understand things correctly, to help us understand and see the truth, so that we engage the Bible by honoring God's meaning. Now this is a big one that's so important. We often talk about context when we're trying to understand and interpret Bible passages. And this is not just an exercise for pastors, but really it's one to have correct understanding for all believers. Without a willingness to understand context, we can force our own meaning into the Scriptures and come to all sorts of really bad conclusions. There are are two primary ways to approach God's Word. There are variations to these, but there's two primary ways. We We can seek to bring our own ideas to the text and make it mean essentially whatever we want, or we can be led to our conclusions based on what we're reading in the passage. The difference here is the first begins with us. It's all about us and what we want, our desires, our opinions, our beliefs, and we try to force that into the Bible. And the second is all about understanding and seeking to honor God's intended meaning. But there's some work involved in that second one. You remember what I said about the the diversity of people and culture and time that's involved in writing these 66 books. All of these men had a theme in mind when they were writing their part of the Bible. Perhaps they had an issue that they were addressing. They had a purpose for writing this the way that they did. 
so that it's helpful as we're studying the Bible to ask those questions. Who, who wrote this book? Who were they writing it to? Why were they writing? In what time was it written? All very important questions to understand the context of our Bible study. But I'll give you an example of one error that I dealt with in another sermon recently. You look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6. It says, again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, and let all God's angels worship him. Now this is referring to Jesus here. That phrase, his firstborn, is not implying that Jesus was somehow changed or at some point did not exist. But some will take that verse out of context and will use it as a proof text that Jesus at some point was created. That he was not around at some point. And will use this as a way to demote him to a status less than God. But you see, that, that expression, firstborn, is not about a point in time, but it's about a, a special position of privilege. And we can understand that by understanding the cultural context in which this was used. One designated as firstborn in that period, in that culture, was most often the one that inherited everything. That this was a position of great honor. And that's what is meant here, that Jesus is the one given the right and authority of the firstborn. But you, what we see here is in that one small verse, we get a glimpse of the devastation that one can cause when you pull a verse in the Bible out of, out of context. In this case, they end up questioning the deity of Christ, which is one of the most tragic things you could do in your, your time in the Bible. But another important part of context is recognizing that there's a large variety of literary genres in the Bible, and each have different rules for interpreting them. We have law and history, we have wisdom literature and, and poetry, we have letters and, and prophecies, and all of these should be interpreted differently. We should not approach all the same. And there's a, there's a number of books out there that you can read about understanding genre in the Bible and, and how you should be reading it and understanding it and applying it. But just to give you a kind of a modern day example, we wouldn't take a book about medicine and read and understand that the same way we would a work of fiction. You imagine if a doctor did that. That could lead to a, a potentially deadly misunderstanding. And an inability to identify genre in the Bible can lead to a, a serious misunderstanding of Scripture as well. But I understand that sometimes as we're unpacking and understanding context, it can feel a bit dry. I, I understand that. And I think that the one way that we can engage in this contextual work that we're doing is to try to place ourselves in that context. As an example, if you're working through a, a biblical narrative, maybe you become a bystander in that passage or you're, you're a participant in what is happening here. But the key here is you have to be very honest with yourself. Sometimes we'll read parts of the Bible and we'll wonder, well, how in the world did they come to that conclusion? How did they do what they did there? How are they so disobedient to God? How did Peter say what he did to Jesus after he just had that incredible encounter with Christ? But I think what you'll see is if you're being honest with yourself, while they might look a bit different, the things that they were struggling with, the, the things that, that they were stumbling over, the mistakes that they were making are very similar to what we encounter today. They might look a bit different, but they're very similar. And what this does is it helps us bridge that gap between our time and theirs, between our culture and theirs. And it helps us more clearly see just how powerful God's Word is across time, why it remains relevant. And I think more importantly, it also helps us see just how loving and gracious and patient He is with us. And this is, it's, it's all a part of, of honoring God's meaning. Because the Bible, it only has one correct meaning to every passage, just, just one. There can be multiple applications to that one meaning, but there's just one meaning. And this can be a struggle for us at times. Sometimes we'll, we'll encounter something in the Bible that does not sit well with us. 
And we need to resist the urge to try to bend that to the point that it does sit well with us. We don't ever want to be accused of twisting Scripture. And first, we need to determine if we've understood it correctly. Sometimes it's hard for us to comprehend because we've, we've misunderstood the Scripture. So if that's the case, we need to understand that God is a God of order and not, not of confusion so that we can interpret the Bible with the Bible. If you encounter an obscure passage, make sure that you're understanding that with one that's more clear. Chances are those, those hard-to-understand passages, God has made clear in another part of the Bible, and in that way, He can help us understand those. But sometimes we do understand it correctly, and it's just a hard truth for us to accept. What we don't want to do here is to try and explain it away. And this is where we're at in our culture today. We've encountered some truths that don't sit well with us. And we want to say things like, well, we understand things in a way that they didn't back then. Or science has progressed in a way that we've advanced, we've evolved, and so we don't apply this the same way. Truth is truth is truth. And while it might look a different how we are living our lives today than they were thousands of years ago, God's truth remains the same. It remains relevant and it remains applicable to our lives. So we don't ever want to explain those things away. And the opposite end of that is we don't want to just try to bury these things and never really deal with them. Just pretend like they don't exist. We want, to, we want to understand these things. We want to apply them to our lives. So what we need to do here is ask God to show us what it is in our, in our hearts, in our lives, that are causing these passages to create such friction in us. Allow the Holy Spirit to work out that wonderful process of, of sanctification in us. And you know, what I have encountered for myself personally, as I, as I come across those tough passages that are hard to understand. Many times it's because we're trying to confine an infinite God into our very finite understanding and ability. And we have to remind ourselves in those moments that God is perfectly holy, that He is perfectly righteous, and He is perfectly just, and we are not. The goal here is not so that the Bible conforms to our standards, but that we seek to conform our lives to the truth of God. Even in those tough moments, in those tough passages that are hard for us to understand and accept, we are to conform to the truth of God. But sometimes, even after we've done all of this work, we still feel as though we need more support. We need more help trying to understand God's Word. And this highlights the reason why we should make sure we have surrounded ourselves with Bible-believing, Bible-studying Christians that God can use to help us understand His Word. So that we engage the Bible by connecting with other believers. It's been said many times, but it's worth repeating here. Our faith was never meant to be practiced in isolation. God designed us for community. Look with me very quickly at Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, a good starting point for that is what happens here on Sunday mornings. Faithfully and regularly attending Sunday morning worship services is truly a vital part of our faith. How we, how we grow in our understanding and applying the Bible. How we more deeply engage in the Bible. I want to encourage you to really invest in this time. And I know that from personal experience, it can be easy to, to show up to church with so many distractions on our mind. I've, I've been guilty of that myself. But seek to really quiet your mind in this time so that you can, you can lean into what's happening here. Because there's so much about this time that can be a, a huge benefit to our lives. 
I know that the Pastor Aaron and, and Pastor Joe, they, they invest a lot of time in how they plan and prepare these services. They invest a lot of time in, in how they plan and prepare what they're going to preach. Doing many of the things that I've talked about here this morning. And the reason that is, is because they feel a burden to rightly handle the Word of God for your benefit. They want to encourage you. They want to help you grow in your faith, to correct you and instruct you, to edify you. Take full advantage of this time. Take full advantage of this great privilege. You know, we have, we have brothers and sisters in Christ in other parts of the world that are, are risking their life to meet like this. And we should never take this privilege lightly. But the second thing I would say that is vital is being involved in a Bible study with others. Whether that means you, you have a small group of people that you meet with or, or it's just another believer one-on-one, -on -one, make this a priority. And again, I know that, that life can be so busy. And there, there are weeks that we have that we feel like there's no spare time. And the idea of setting aside an hour or two for Bible study just does not seem possible. But I would suggest this. We need to be very intentional about this, very disciplined about it. Just as someone who has a, has a budget for their family, you have those things that have to be accounted for, like housing and food and, and utility bills. We tend to build our budget around those things. Those are considered non-negotiables, unlike eating out or those, those other things that we might do for fun. View your time with a small group or another person as that non-negotiable for your weekly budget of time. Make it a priority, because I believe it's that important. And what you'll find as you walk through the Bible with other people is that you will, you will hear other perspectives and insights that you wouldn't have otherwise. And you might hear about an application that you missed in the text brought out. But the even greater thing here is, is that you will not get on your own, that you will get in a Bible study is accountability. Accountability in reading and studying but also an accountability in applying those things to your life, being encouraged and, and challenged to allow God's Word to transform us. And that is what great Bible engagement is all about. That's the point of Bible engagement, is being transformed. I'd like to ask the, the worship team to go ahead and make their way up here. You know, all, all of these things that I have shared this morning, and again, this is not an exhaustive list. I think it's a good start, but there's so much more that we could look at there. But all of these, they have one underlying purpose as we go back to why we study the Bible. It's all about Jesus. You engage the Word so that you will know Jesus. That your love of Him will grow. That your commitment to Him will increase. And this will create a desire within you to be more like Him. We engage the Bible because Christ is the centerpiece of all of it. And that truth should elevate Him in our hearts and be evident in the way that we live our lives. Let's pray this morning. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We pray that we would never lose sight of how powerful it is. That we would be reminded on a daily basis that it is your word. That you have spoken to us through it. Help us approach it in, in such a way that we are desiring to meet with you. To hear from you. To more clearly see Christ. To more, to more clearly know him. And allow that process to transform us more into His image. That we would never leave our time in the Bible with less than that. A desire to see Christ and be more like Him. And Father, we just don't want to take those things in and, and then not do anything with them. We want it to transform us. We want to go out and, and live lives in our communities in a way that points people back to Jesus. So that they too may have this incredible hope that we know because of Christ and all that He has accomplished. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.